Hey, Nora. Hey, Sandy. Hey, what's up? You sound a little forlorn. We just went through two weeks of a heat wave. And the the last night of the heat wave, I was playing soccer inside a stadium that was not air conditioned. And I thought I was going to die. Oh, my God. And then the temperature just dropped. And so for the last couple of days, it has been very fallish, very cold, actually. Like it's been 16 to 18 degrees. And so, yeah, I'm feeling like, oh, my God, September is right around the fucking corner. September is right around the corner. School has started for me. I mean, I didn't go in the first week because... Who does? I had shingles. <laughs> I had shingles. I had shingles. <laughs> but I am going this week, but I can't, I can't tell you. I'm just so frustrated about the whole like notion of school <laughs> right now. The fact that we're we have to go. I mean, school at UCLA is in person right now. Um, And, uh, you know, they've got all of these rules, you know, we have to be masked up. Um, There's these free vending machines of take home test kits that you have to do a test once a week. And then when you get on campus, they, they, yeah. And then when you get on campus, they check your temperature and all of this stuff. So um, there's all of that. But at the same time, I don't know, like half or three quarters of the faculty have gone on sabbatical because they're just like, fuck this, which <laughs> I appreciate that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and yeah. And so the, the course offerings are like zero and it's like impossible to finish the degree. It's like so hard to figure out how to finish the degree. And the administration just doesn't give a shit. Like, they're just like, whatever. <laughs> you have to, this is, this is the card you've been dealt, student. Like, just figure it out. And um, I'm just really frustrated uh, by the way that these institutions are just like, everything's normal. Let's steamroll ahead. Continue Mm -hmm. to pay the same amount in tuition. In fact, pay more tuition and uh, have like a full full on shit education (laughs) at the same time that everything's happening. I just I'm really frustrated about it. But I will be starting school again. (laughs) Well, and how many cases uh, do you folks have right now? Right now, I was just looking at that um, just before we started talking. It is, I think, just under 3,000 new cases today. Okay. Things things are on the rise again in Los Angeles. So just under 3,000 new cases today. Right. Yeah, my partner starts teaching this week. And up until this past weekend... The um, the university's directive was uh, no one has to wear masks. It's, you know, no problem. Um, there's no mask mandate at all. And it's fully in class. So, you know, in this situation, talking about 160 students <laughs> in a first year class. Oh, wow. And um, our cases are on the rise as well. And uh, at the same time that they're, they're implementing this vaccine passport midweek. And so the day before he starts teaching, he got a, a, a directive from the university saying, OK, we changed our minds. Everyone has to wear masks. <laughs> so it's like, <laughs> oh, my God. OK, I mean, you're making it up as you go along, but at least the tuition fees here are not so high. And so it's like, OK, all right, let's see how this goes. <laughs> Well, here we are. Here we are. This may be the new normal, just not knowing what anything's going to be. Yeah. Yeah. Which is, you know what, like considering how closely I've watched the pandemic, I actually find that very reassuring in a way. Like 
either the virus disappears, which would just be amazing, or it continues to circulate and it specifically circulates people who are unvaccinated, which of course means that governments have to pour all of the resources into making sure people do get vaccinated. But we're in a bit of a holding pattern because, of course, like the biggest chunk of the population that is not vaccinated cannot get vaccinated. With that reality, it's like, well, you know, we'll, mm-hmm. we just kind of have to wait and we have to like see how things go. And, you know, my kids are going to be in school unvaccinated. But I have to admit, I am like my anxiousness le- levels compared to last year are like completely different. I'm really, I don't know, I feel really ready, I guess, um, for the fall. And my prediction is that we'll see a children's vaccine for five to 12 year olds in six weeks. That's a bold prediction oh, for you. That is a bold prediction. And maybe we have some other predictions to make because it is election season. <laughs> Before we get into that, shall we show some love yes. to the people? Yes. To show some love to us? Yes. Thank you so much uh, to everyone who donates the podcast and shares the podcast and all of that stuff. We really, really appreciate it. And, and you know, I'm, I'm feeling like there's, there's this like really overwhelming sense of doom uh, in a lot of uh, corners of this country. And so, you know, spread the love, share these episodes uh, with people and, you know, make them feel like they're not alone and that there are some things that we can do and also help to bring sense to how they understand the world. Because I feel like now is the time it's really needed. But um, I want to specifically say thank you to Josh, Ian, Janet, and Corey, Vic, who I also have to just say Vic is someone who I grew up with and um, who just took my family's photos and I just saw him. So, hey, thanks for the donation. That's amazing. And I'm glad that you love the pod. (laughs) Ben, Stephanie, and David, thank you all so, so much. We really appreciate it. Thank you. Okay, Nora, there a lot of things happened this week. Like, yes, a lot. Um, so I kind of feel like, I mean, a lot of it is, is related to the election. So maybe we start there and kind of go through everything. So, um, looks like the liberals maybe made a calculated error (laughs) in calling this election, trying to get a majority. Mm. Mm. You saw the polls this week. I sure did. I think most people have. And if you haven't, uh, dear listener, the liberals are kind of in a little bit of a free fall and the conservatives are gaining ground. And it's interesting, right? Like the conservatives are going after um, a lot of working class votes, like they're trying to appeal to um, workers and also some uh, liberal votes. The liberals are trying to go for the conservatives. The NDP are trying to Uh, go for their base, I suppose, and activate more votes. It's really interesting uh, um, how they are targeting their audiences, but it looks like the liberals actually miscalculated how the population is feeling about their record. Yeah, it's really interesting. And, and you know, so I was I was at home uh, back in Ontario the past two weeks. And so I talked to a lot of people I haven't seen in a long time, a lot of family members and friends. And um, I had one conversation with someone uh, who was saying to me, you know, by judging my Twitter feed, like it really seems like there's just no one is supporting the conservatives. Like it just seems impossible that the conservatives could win. And as he's saying this to me, I'm, 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 I can, you know, can hear echoes of that in other kinds of conversations that I've had. And 
while I was home, I was in four ridings, basically. So, um, you know, Halton Hills, Wellington, Caledon, Dufferin County, Brampton West, and Milton. And those are four ridings where uh, three of the four ridings have a conservative MP. Two of the ridings have had the same MP. He just went from Brampton West up north to Dufferin Caledon uh, in, in 2019. And Milton has a liberal, but uh, it's a it's a tenuous um, riding, right? That that has been uh, in the past held by the conservatives, in the most recent past held by the conservatives. And in all four ridings, there was no NDP candidate. There were Green candidates that had their signs up. And it's very clear that that like that band of the 905 and into southwestern Ontario, all the way over to Markham and then, of course, further east, it's very conservative. And I think that a lot of people are forgetting that, you know, the rock bottom support of the conservative party in this country is like 25 percent, like rock, rock bottom. And then it's more like around 30 percent. And so, yes, this calculation that the liberals made that now was the time to pull the trigger is very, very interesting. And what I also am am fascinated by, and a lot of people I've seen talking about this online, how the conservatives are not running on a slash spending, balance the budget Mm -hmm. election. They're they're actually promising spending and they're promising mm-hmm. social programs. And then I saw the, the funniest thing, which is, you know, in Quebec City, we have this tunnel or bridge that's trying to be built from uh, Levis to Quebec. It, it'll never happen because it's a completely ridiculous project. We've mentioned it before. But our local conservative candidate who who is is elected, Gerard Deltel, he would told the newspaper, well, it's important to support the, the third line, it's called, because, you know, very soon it's all going to be electric cars. And so this is actually uh, an environmental promise. (laughs) What? (laughs) And I thought that was such an amazing shift in the rhetoric from the conservatives. Like, Uh I'm sorry, you see, you think that in a a couple of years that that whole thing is going to be covered in electric cars? What? Like, wow. Maybe they've got a plan (laughs) to make it so. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Yeah, but it's, um, you know, there's a, there's a few reasons why it seems that this is happening. So one thing that's been really interesting to watch is, uh, you know, the way that reporters uh, and people who have been um, asking Justin Trudeau questions on the campaign trail are responding to Afghanistan. So... We spoke Mm. uh, a couple weeks ago about how we really wanted to see uh, the liberals confronted on their record. And while that's not quite happening, it is a little bit. What is more happening in these questions that they're that they're getting posed to them or they were getting posed to them this week is how they messed up so badly, knowing um, that this winding down of operations from the Americans was happening. And also how the the fact of their really quick announcement that was a bald attempt to recreate the support that they got um, when they announced uh, that the government of Canada would take in a certain number of Syrian refugees, their announcement um, of uh, taking in 20,000 Afghan refugees, people on the ground in Afghanistan have said that that really complicated 
uh, things on the ground for people. Uh, people were rushing um, to to the airports to to try to get on uh, to try to get uh, a spot to go to Canada if, where logistics hadn't been figured out to make that happen. But because it had been announced uh, so quickly as really an election tactic. Um, it was really thoughtless and ended up harming a lot of people on the ground. And I think that the liberals had a really tough time um, responding to that as they should. It was It's pretty cynical and gross uh, to use people who are in such a desperate situation to try to build uh, your electoral um, your electoral gains. Yeah. And in watching that, I was struck uh, by the similarities of what happened in 2017, where, as you mentioned, the Syrian refugee crisis became political point scoring for the liberals. And, and you know, the way that the liberals used the 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 arrival of, of Syrian refugees in just the most cynical way, they've never been held to account for that. And and one of the things that I've I've always been the like very struck by is is how that that tweet from Justin Trudeau welcoming Sy- Syrian refugees to Canada was this global phenomenon, right? It was from a PR perspective very successful because it it showed Canada was open at the time that Donald Trump was closing down, and that was what it was intended to do, right? It was intended to to take that steam away from Donald Trump, but this didn't get reported very much. Um, but I have reported on it. <laughs> uh, that tweet was was what pushed. The, the shooter in Quebec City to go and 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 attack the the mosque here it's it's written in the the court transcripts and 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 you can read that if you're very interested to see how exactly that all shook down and not that that any that act of course is not the fault of the liberals but this cynical use of of these of these issues of people's lives has it has consequences. There are consequences to that. And the liberals are, are never, ever, ever questioned on how they use that kind of rhetoric. And then even worse, they go on to boost up deportations higher than they have been in years. They do this during the pandemic and they do this hoping that no one is paying attention and, and they know that people aren't really paying attention, uh, you know, generally to the to, to deportations. And so yeah, like it's great that it's coming up on the campaign trail, but I there's definitely a very large part of me that that really wants to see the the liberals punished for how they're playing these issues because it's just so fucking gross and it's so cynical and it and it and it actually causes violence. Yeah. Okay, what else? Your turn. It's very interesting I think right now to see how the liberals are scrambling to because they see that the the polling is, has shifted somewhat and I'm I'm still not convinced that they'll lose. I actually think that they'll still um, crank out a minority probably. Um, but my same prediction. Oh, okay, that's it? it, everybody. That's the Sandy and Nora podcast prediction is a minority liberal government. <laughs> right. And so because they're scrambling, we're seeing this like obsession with strategic voting coming up. And I was I was very interested to see how strategic voting already has is being used to try and get people to not vote. NDP, basically, to swing their vote from the NDP to the the liberals. And while I was away, I had a bunch of conversations with people who seemed like they were thinking about voting in that way, thinking about how to strategically vote to make sure that the conservatives don't win. 
And it and, and you know again, it's like the conser- the liberal playbook. It's just cynical, cynical, cynical stunts. And I I'm I'm curious to see how the NDP reacts to this because the NDP is of course the party that loses the most when we're talking about strategic voting, um, and the NDP like is is running a pretty steady eddy campaign. I mean I'm super critical of what they're promising, but like I can see it appealing to a lot of liberal voters or maybe some liberal voters. But as many people have pointed out online. The, the the voter block that changes the most are conservatives to liberals and liberals to conservative. NDP voters tend to be really, really stable throughout. Well, and I mean, it's no wonder that these votes are kind of stable and that this kind of uh, tradition of uh, going either liberal or conservative for the people who move would stay the same because, my God, Nora, like the fucking promises, the platforms that we have thus far, it's like the last two years didn't happen. Oh my it god, is totally. As though, like I I feel like they are in like the 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 politicians are so out of touch. The the parties are so out of touch. I am like I'm looking at this stuff like am I living in another reality? I'm really stunned <laughs> at how fucking shit the prompt the platforms are. I just I mean, first of all, there's like something that makes me burn with rage is that there's like zero on uh on islamophobia on um reconciliation and decolonization and on anti-blackness that makes me burn with rage given everything that has happened uh in the last uh couple of years um uh, the largest mass protests in canadian history the discovery of these mass graves, which, you know, apparently um, it, these these parties were really concerned about, but not concerned enough to to like uh, make this uh, a flagship of any campaign. Um, nothing uh, talking about is Islamophobia, really. I mean, there's some lip service in some of the platforms, but nothing really concrete as yet. And I'm just like, what the fuck? And then also, have you <laughs> have you looked at the housing promises? Uh, yes, a little bit. There, I okay. So we have like there's like a crisis of precarious housing, and also of uh, of the fact that people are uh, increasingly unhoused in Canada, and the promises are like, I mean. <laughs> The promises suggest that the politicians believe that the problem is that um, we don't have enough uh, savings accounts uh, to to save our money in, or we like need more tax credits, which requires you to have excess money, disposable income <laughs> to be able to put away. Like they don't seem to understand that the problem is that uh, housing is so fucking expensive that whether you're renting or buying that it you know your whole living situation becomes precarious like this promise uh from the conservatives i think it is which is like an an extra savings account like thank you for giving me a bucket where i can put my money where you're not going to climb into the bucket and take more out of it but how does that help the problem and what are we doing around the unhoused problem like even the ndp's promise of like extending how long you can have a mortgage it's like oh great more debt like that is not 
the solution. I'm not really sure what world they're living in, Mm -hmm. that these are the measures that we're getting. And I'm also just not sure what world we're living in, that there is no really bold promises um, that are going to like radically shift the ways that we live uh, uh, in this in this country, like we, so much of our world is ham- hampered by user fees and by uh, making sure that uh, corporations get wealthier and wealthier. All of our services are um, increasingly getting siphoned off to the private sector. Like, where are the the promises that are going to control for those things? They're just not there. Yeah, I have been really surprised. I mean, okay, no, I'm not at all surprised because what the fuck. But I mean, for the benefit of fucking theatrics, I have been really surprised at the NDP's housing platform because like this this past year and a half has been, you know, COVID ravaging uh, group homes and shelters and congregate living spaces where we know people are unsafe. It has ravaged people who have roommates because the state did nothing to help people protect themselves if they lived in a space with people who they couldn't control, right? Everything was oriented oriented towards fingo, like single family units that preferably had two bathrooms or more, right? And, and as you say, it's as if, as if the last 18 months has not happened. And from the NDP, we get a focus on foreign buyers, which is racist and is is targeting the smallest fucking tiniest fraction of people who who purchase homes. Uh, and so fuck you for that, for even entering into that fucking conversation. And then the, the promise is ridiculous. And <laughs> this is my favorite. They want to reintroduce 30-year ter- mortgage yeah. terms issued by CMHC, 30 year. And their reasoning for this is so that families can stretch out their mortgages longer. It's like, you motherfuckers, that is a cash transfer to the banks. Like, you don't stretch your mortgage out longer. You pay more interest to, on the money that you've borrowed. That's all it is. And nothing actually addresses the fact that the the Canadian housing market, when compared to peer countries, is absolutely out of control, completely out of control, and is a fucking money laundering scheme. Like there is so much corruption and so much fuckery that's happening within the the, the housing industry that reading the NDP's platform tells me no one in the NDP actually understands this. Like they actually don't know what's wrong with with housing right now. And so they're just defaulting to 500,000 new affordable rental units. It's like, I don't believe that. You don't have the fucking capacity to do that, like at all. And what what are you going to do to stop this runaway fucking absolutely corrupt piece of shit housing market that has emerged in the last five years and that has been like, you know, had, had gasoline thrown on the fire of it uh, in the last 18 months? And, you know, that that's where I think you can see like just the anemia of the thought <laughs> within the folks running the 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 I don't know, the platform ex- elaboration committee within the NDP. But that that is a real fucking embarrassment, especially considering how many times we've seen cops busting up, arresting, harassing, hurting and harming uh, homeless sh- camps, uh, encampments protests, solidarity actions to stop people from being evicted. Like this is where the left actually should be in this country. And instead we get fucking, oh, you can actually have a 30 year mortgage again. It's like, um, what the fuck is that? 
Yeah, and then and then the fucking liberals, right? Like they're like they're like, oh, we're gonna help you save thirty thousand dollars instead of twenty five thousand dollars with with like I guess the RRSP thing. They haven't really um, the sorry the I should explain the RRSP program where you can borrow for for the first time buying uh, you can borrow from your RSP up to 25,000. They're now saying up to 30,000. It's not clear if they're going to do that through the RSP, but I imagine that that's what it is. It's like, okay, so you can borrow an extra $5,000 from your RSP, which you probably don't have in your RSP because you're a first-time home buyer and you're you don't have that much money in your RSP. Okay. <laughs> so there's that. Mm-hmm. Um, they're going to build more homes. million in uh, building new, preserving, or repairing homes. And they're going to make a bill of rights for home buyers. It's like (laughs) none of these parties, like why don't any of these parties want to touch the actual problem, which is like one, the landlords, and the fact that this thing, housing, which is like um, necessary Shelter, which is like necessary for for living as a human being, has become this commodity and a way for people to um, to to invest and make a lot of money uh, and exploit people's need for living. That is where you need to attack. Like that is the principled place that needs to be attacked. Everybody needs a place to live. Everybody requires shelter in order to live. And so if you don't start from who is exploiting that in order to get rich, then you're not doing the right thing. And none of these parties want to attack the landlords uh, and the people who are making tons and tons of money off of precarious housing. Well, let's talk about the big story of the week which was these protests that managed to shut down an event in Bolton, Ontario. I used to play soccer in Bolton. Um, actually, I got very lost on my way to Bolton one night, like so lost that I thought I was going to die. But anyway. Um, Whoa. So, <laughs> yeah. So protesters, uh, anti-Trudeau protesters, you know, call them whatever you want. They're, I'm sure, a friendly mix of white supremacists and anti-vaxxers and maybe yellow vesters and a bunch of fucking other people um, whose names we've given to them in the last couple of years because they keep kind of showing up. Uh, and, and they've been dogging Trudeau. And, you know, you've got Aaron O'Toole and then Kevin Seaback, who's the candidate, the conservative candidate in the riding that Bolton is in. And, and of course, like the, the incumbent saying, uh, you know, this is not like get the hell off of our campaign. Don't even call yourself a conservative. This is unacceptable. Um, and, and, and O'Toole made the big point that there were children present and the obscene language that was being used was like just fucking unacceptable. And I'm watching this like, OK, so there's no violence. What they stand for is abhorrent. But like, do we not see what is obviously like the next step when the politicians, the liberals, the conservatives start like saying, whoa, whoa, whoa like pro- this protest is just getting out of control while, while they're all they're doing is like disrupting events like we do that all the time on the left. Or we like to or we should do more. And I'm just very um, concerned that 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 this is going to be used to continue to even further criminalize 
dissent in this country and criminalize protest while at the same time allowing these motherfuckers to do this shit because of course the cops are always present and the cops are always helping them not just helping them we've there's videos of cops supporting them and giving them high fives and fucking i'm not sure exactly what and you know of course we also have the toronto police refusing mandatory vaccinations despite the fact that like they had many 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 outbreaks there was outbreaks I mean, there are outbreaks in police colleges and police detachments all across this fucking country. Um, and so it's it's really interesting that, you know, the, the mainstream uh, small L liberal media is seeing this as like, oh, my God, where do they come from? These people are a front to democracy. And it's like they're being helped by the security state. They ex- they have existed for a long time and you either like didn't take it seriously or you way overplayed the fucking attention that you're giving to them. And now we've got like enough of a angry mob that is making a lot of other small liberals say holy holy crow like this is just too 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 much like canada what are we becoming like we have to we have to i don't know ban protests or ban saying the word fuck like near justin trudeau like is that where we're heading there actually have been uh, left-wing protesters that have been confronting him as well in Montreal. And I believe there was a, um, uh, one in his uh, campaign stop in, in BC. It's like, you know, <sighs> I mean, yeah, we, we don't want to see uh, these, uh, you know, uh, folks who, those of us on the left don't like, obviously, these people who are um, the anti-vaxxers, the white supremacists, but at the same time, you know, we are doing, we are also confronting uh, the politicians in the way that we should be because of their record. And look, um, you know, fuck, I, I just want to say, like, they should have taken the white supremacist organizing really seriously. <laughs> like, I don't, I don't know how they thought uh, this was going to go. Like, of course, they're going to organize against you in an election. Um and uh, it's been clear for some time um, that uh, the the folks who are tied to anti-vaxxing campaigns, white supremacy, uh, you know, uh, fucking incel culture, all of that, like that, 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 uh, like cabal of organizing has has started to use some of the same tactics that um, a successful less left wing. Um, protesters have used and this is one of the things that we've done so I don't know like I I mean this it's an election campaign this is what this is what happens <laughs> deal with it yeah <laughs> just you got to deal with it I don't think yeah I don't think it should be uh, condemned because that's just going to lead to as you say um, uh, targeting uh, folks on the left yeah which they which they are and it, and it continues like the cover is now even there and it's like Oh, our civ- our civility has disappeared, and it's like, yeah. So- sorry, Trudeau. Like you, you've been doing this cynical political fucking stuff. Like this whole election is a was a cynical power move, as we all know. And what do you expect? Like. Christ, what do you expect? You know, it's it's interesting because a lot of these folks are like, you know, uh, were became organized in a different way during the pandemic and it is it is funny that the politicians as you say are so out of touch that they really like the, the the level of anger, anxiety, and fear that exists, I think, widespread within the population, and then a very tiny subset of the population, this white supremacist, far-right bunch of shitheads, they express a certain kind of anxiety and fear as well. Uh, but you don't you don't get the sense that that politicians feel that. You know, it, like I, I haven't heard 
I've heard more about Jagmeet Singh's mother than I've heard about how he did in the pandemic, which I think is a very interesting PR decision that the leadership of that campaign has made. Uh, Aaron O'Toole, like, I mean, all we've seen from him in the last 18 months is that he's like losing a lot of weight. Like, I, I hope he's okay. Um, and of course, he had COVID, but but it's just like erased. It's just like this this act active erasing in the in minds of Canadians that we are still living in a pandemic. <laughs> um, while at the same time, you know, every single one of these fucking promises from Trudeau could have been done during the pandemic. Um, and the one that I'm like so laughing at is this a billion dollars to create a national vaccine passport. It's like, dude, our fucking I already have my vaccine passport. Like, wh- yeah, wh- what is that little <laughs> weirdly weird color of yellow card? Most of us have it. <laughs> well, there's that. I mean, in Quebec, it's not it's not yellow. Um, but 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 oh, I also- you're talking about like the new stuff. Yes, there's also that, of course. I've got my proof of vaccination like everyone else has in this province. And I'm sure most provinces, we all have some sort of proof of vaccine. And that proof, most of it came with a QR code. And then all of a sudden, you just have to have an app that you build around that, which, which I, you know, Quebec has already done. So it's just like, what are you promising? A billion dollars for this? Like, I mean, my two favorite um, cynical promises are the, the the 10 sick days, which is just like, oh, in oh, month, yeah. what, what month are we in, Nora, of the pandemic? Uh, 18. Month 18 of the pandemic. You're like, you know what would be great? Sick days. Like, fuck <laughs> you. Fuck you, man. Like, people have been calling for this for so long. You could have done this in week one. In fact, you could have done this before the pandemic. I mean, 10 sick days, it should be more than 10 and uh, paid sick days. And you should have done it before the pandemic. But here we are. And you're making it um, this promise uh, like as a jump off from the pandemic, as though people won't see through the fact that, "Mm, hey, weren't you prime minister this whole time? Couldn't you have done that already? And then my other favorite one is uh, the $500 that we talked about before for seniors. But you know, obviously, obviously redefining seniors as people over 75 years old. Yeah, yeah. I, You know, I think that um, every person that I've talked to since coming home from vacation seems pretty uh, nonplussed about this uh, election campaign, to say the least. Um, and I live in a, in a riding that's very tight between the Bloc and the Liberals, and the Liberals are like, using the oldest list that they can find to try and door knock. And so I've had some conversations with friends who've had, um, who've been canvassed and I haven't been canvassed, um, but they were surprised to be canvassed because, you know, it's like, oh, we're on the list somewhere that must go back some period of time. So, you know, it's like, it's very clear that the liberals know that they um, are potentially in trouble but I think, you know, that the whole election betrays something much deeper, which is just that there's this fundamental crisis in democracy in this fucking country. And, um, you know, it's one thing for us to look at the Green Party and go, wow, they're so fucked. Holy crow. How can that party be so fucked? And it's a totally different thing to back and be like, whoa, actually, no, the, the, everything is fucked. Um, literally every single fucking thing is really fucked. And, and so then how you interact with that is really, really hard. Um, it's really hard to navigate because it's like, you know, not only are none of the parties yeah. talking as if it's like we just went through this incredible hell of, you know, tens of thousands of people dying, I, I, you know, up to 50,000 people having died. 
we we also have this like this summer of incredible climate anxiety with you know the town of Lytton being completely or Lytton being completely uh, incinerated and forest fires everywhere and, and extreme heat. Uh, there, there's no, the, the, the politicians are not talking as if like this is the most important moment to actually change change course. And I think that we need to understand their reluctance to talk in those ways is part of why we all feel so disenfranchised and so fucking angry at how bad things are getting. Like, like you just can't shake Justin hard enough to be like, you are not paying attention. What the fuck? And, um, and so people need to remember that like, this is by design, that this whole thing is by design. And that design is to maintain Canada as it is, even though as we march towards like climate catastrophe or a fucking fifth wave or whatever, uh, it'll be harder and harder and harder to keep Canada as it, as it is. And, and just I'll, I'll finish here. I also think it's very funny that um, that we haven't heard anything about Mark Carney. Remember him? Uh, no, I don't. Remember Mark Carney was the governor of the Bank of Canada, and then he wrote a whole book about what he was his vision for the future and the, and the climate, and then he was on this dog and pony show throughout all of the press for like two months, and he had every interview, and it was like, okay, this guy's being set up to run for the Liberals. Oh yeah, he, he's not running. He's not running. <laughs> I wonder how that happened. <laughs> I know. I do too. If anybody has the inside scoop on that, let us know. <laughs> well, I'm, I'm curious to know if, if, if this is all Yasser Nakvi's fault, and I'll just leave it at that. <laughs> oh, okay. Um, there is going to be a day of action on the climate crisis on September 8th. Uh, and it'll be interesting to see if that changes how the politicians are talking about uh, climate. But, you know, that kind of thing um, and other protests that have been happening across the country are, of course, the things that continue to give me hope. One of the reasons why um, I was I mentioned a couple of weeks ago how frustrated I was at this like messaging that oh, the election shouldn't be happening. Like, fuck you, liberals, for calling an election. Like, this is so terrible. Nobody wants an election right now. It's like, it's a minority government. Like, of course, there's going to be an election after two years. It always is. <laughs> Sorry, guys. Like, who cares? Yeah. Um, it's also just like this idea that, like, finding out what, what's happening and then voting is like the hardest thing ever. Like, oh, so onerous on all of us. Like, it's not... <laughs> and or the idea that you know everything that was happening in government was like so important that going to an election right now is just like destroying all of these things hate to break it to you they weren't doing that much like <laughs> i just like it, it's not a big deal the things that are a big deal it's the is the organizing that happens that forces the politicians hands and so you know um this this day of action that's happening on september 8th I don't know, Nora. I'm hoping, I'm hoping. Like, uh, climate really should be at the fore of every single one of these platforms. And it is not at the fore of any of them, except for obviously the Green Party. So it's like, right. you know, I ah, like, I really hope that um, this organizing that's happening on the ground uh, is able to pull, pull, pull um, the discussion to where it needs to be. Um, I'm not that optimistic that the, the politicians will respond in the way that we need them to. 
But I hope that at least what it does is expose um, the deficits of of these campaigns and these promises to a wider audience. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and and I, this segues into the final thing we want to mention on this episode, which doesn't directly have anything to do with the federal election, but it, it kind of does, which is what's happening on Vancouver Island at the Ferry Creek blockade. And so if you don't know, like we've mm. mentioned Ferry Creek before, um, this past week, the arrests have topped 800. I believe they're at 830 arrests. Um, and the the campaign is to stop old growth logging in British Columbia. And I, I think that, you know, it is just such a good example of the limits of um, progressive action through partisan politics that you have an NDP government that is working hand in hand with the fucking cops to just crack as many heads as they can to continue logging rather than looking at this and saying, you know what, maybe we shouldn't fucking keep cutting down trees. Maybe we're already dangerously close to like this whole carbon feedback loop that we will never be able to stop that we we should probably not cut down trees. They're really good at carbon capture, right? That's what trees do. And instead, and say, okay, so we have a forestry industry, we have indigenous communities that depend on the money. Maybe maybe now is the time to actually completely rethink this whole fucking industry and do something radically different and find a different kind of economic driver for everybody who's touched by this. And instead, the NDP is just like, no, no, no. Like, it's as if they're the fucking conservatives. Like, what is the difference? And um, and so if you don't know what's going on at Ferry Creek, like, definitely check it out and look it, look it up. But it's so important, I think, for us to be looking at that through the lens of, like, the broader political conversation happening in Canada right now and this inability for any partisan party to actually fucking do something that isn't the same old thing. Like, isn't that bizarre? Like, how are we – were we cursed it's or something so like 60 years ago it's by so a witch strange. who was like, you guys are just going to be fucking goldfish for the rest of your existences? It's so very strange. <laughs> Goldfish. It's so very strange. And yeah, if you haven't seen some of the images that are coming out from Fairy Creek, like, again, more justification for why there shouldn't be a fucking RCMP. Like, oh my God, the violence in the face of these protesters. It's just absolutely stunning. Like one of the the, the images I was looking at um, was, were protesters who had... Um, they were attached somehow to like a, a pile of logs or a, a pile of fallen trees. And, um, and the police came with a chainsaw and started cutting, da- cutting the, the logs that these protesters were attached to, like really close to their limbs. Like people are, are screaming in fear uh, but still refusing to leave uh, as part of, you know, the action and crying. And the police are just like, just, it's it's really, I mean, I don't know what sort of frame of mind you have to be in to run up to somebody with um, a giant lethal weapon and just go at it so close to their bodies. Mm-hmm. Um and then, of course, you know, the, the ways that they are literally taking down 
um, uh, people to the ground, beating them up, um, everyone uh, from, you know, young folks to elders. It is, it's really disgusting uh, to watch. Um, And there, you know, I, it, it hasn't been, it hasn't been talked about enough at on all. this campaign, almost on the election campaign. At all. Almost at all, yeah. In the in the mainstream media, almost at all. And also, like, on this election campaign. Like, this is a national issue, these old-growth forests. It's a national issue. Why, if this, you know, there's 800 protests. It is, um, it is on the way to being one of the largest um, uh, expressions of mass civil disobedience in Canadian history. And it is not being... It's not being front page news. It's not being uh, elevated to uh, the importance um, in the media that it is in the history of what's happening. And that is, uh, yeah, goldfish, apparently, a goldfish curse. (laughs) That sounds apt. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, if if you're around uh, action at Ferry Creek um, and you want us to amplify solidarity calls or something like that, just get in touch with us because I, I really feel like it's it's hard it's hard to know exactly what to do how how people can help um, or just if you have a message that you want us to pass along, um, I'd really appreciate hearing from folks. Mm-hmm. Well, so have you made up your mind for who you're going to vote? Um, I have, I have to take a look at, I always vote by like, who is actually the representative in my writing. So I, I'm going to double check who are my, the representatives in my writing, but I have, I have registered for my absentee ballot. So it's, it's on its way. Nice. Well, have you? Uh, no, um, not yet. Not yet. I mean, kind of, but we'll see. Things could change. My, my opinions could very much change. Because it doesn't matter. (laughs) (laughs) At the end of the day, we just got to keep organizing, right? 